Welcome to Reciprocity Podcast, where we discuss the backstories and strategies of photojournalists, sports photographers, documentary filmmakers, and photo editors. Now, here's your host, Brett Carlson. So on today's episode, we have our second video person ever and our first episode in months. I've been really busy and I'm really sorry, everyone, uh, but we're getting back to it. And this is uh, the first episode back in a while, recording this just before Christmas time. And uh, today we have Dominic Satterberg, who is a video person who does non-sports work, but also probably most notably to my audience no, does NFL films, which is uh, probably a goal of a lot of people and, and a very opposite world that I come from as someone who's covered the NFL for years. Um, it's like two sides of the Grand Canyon, it feels like. We don't really cross. We cross paths in person, but the workflow doesn't. So I'm really excited to talk to Dom um, and really excited to hear how this world works. So without further ado, Dom, uh, how's it going, man? It's going good. Thanks for having me. This is fun. Yeah, I'm excited for this. Um, so uh, before we even start, like how normally I like to go back to the backstory, but I, what do you do? Because I mean, you do NFL films, but you also do stuff for Fresno. And now I saw that you have a new job coming. So I think we just want to start to see where what are you doing and where are you at now in your career? This is what my mother asks me all the time. What do you do? That sounds, yeah, that sounds like the Thanksgiving dinner conversation, right? A hundred percent. No one knows what you do. You're a millennial, you, you know, what now, what do you do? You're going to work in a retail store? Anyways, um, so no, yeah, like currently as it sits today, I am a senior video producer at Fresno State, uh, Monday through Friday. And then on the weekends, I freelance for companies like NFL Films or anybody else who wants to hire me to shoot sports. Most of what I do is kind of uh, higher education currently, and then sports stuff happens on the weekends. So that's kind of what I do. And then uh, I'm actually leaving Fresno State at the end of 2021 and uh, moving my family up to uh, the Seattle area, Bellevue, Washington, to be a senior cinematographer for T-Mobile at their headquarters in Bellevue. And uh, that's going to be a new chapter, new journey. Um, and we're super excited. Yeah. So that's, that's a, yeah, that's that's kind of what I do. It's <laughs> a cool shift. So you're nine to five during the week. It's not necessarily sports. It's it's cor- corporate or college communications as a whole, correct? Yeah, it's it's college marketing as a whole, uh, of course, with a video lens. Um, and because the university I work at has is a division one sports school, uh, I've also helped out the athletics department when I can um, doing video work for them. And, you know, I think if you're doing marketing in higher education and you don't include athletics, you're kind of missing the boat. Because yeah. we, call, we call it the front porch of, of, of the university, right? So it's really how most people know the, the university. Um, and so you can't keep it separate. And I think um, my current boss knows that. So if you're the director of marketing for a higher education institution and you don't even include athletics, you're totally missing the boat. Yeah. And so we do, we do cross over and bleed over, but I don't work for athletics um, and they don't work technically for the university. They work for athletics. Um, but you wouldn't. Hopefully you wouldn't know that if you're just watching the content that gets created on a a daily basis here. Yeah, I was talking to somebody today. I was out with a friend of mine and he we had lunch and he was we were talking about uh, a university photographer and he was talking about how it's like this whole kind of circle of like, well, you know, he he does work for the sports, but he also does work for the academics. It was like this big circle of like they're kind of related, but they're kind of not related. And it's kind of funny when you look at job listings for a university or a healthcare provider, it's like. You know, this is director of marketing for the school of business, and this is director the photo department for the athletics department. And it's like 
you'd think there'd just be like one team that's like, we do all of Penn State, but it's like not the way it works at all, which is really interesting. Yeah. And, and the bigger the university is, the more, yeah, siloed it becomes where, yeah, you're just working for a particular college within a university. Um, no, yeah, it, it's, <laughs> it's very funny. Um, but yeah, it's a whole, it's a whole nother world, higher education. Yeah. Um, and so this new job opportunity, you're going to be a, a DP, correct? Yeah. Yeah. For a cell phone company. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, and so I think as, as I've learned throughout the interview process and of course the hiring process, the companies like T-Mobile hire a lot of freelancers. And so jobs like this are becoming more and more, I don't know, um, available where they want to bring it in house and they kind of already have a creative in-house team and a creative in-house studio that, so that I've heard of. <laughs> um, and so they're kind of taking people like me and adding to that. And uh, I think initially I'll be kind of working with the executive team and then just like any one of my jobs, like it starts in a position and then it kind of, it grows. Yeah, of um, course. And that's just kind of the person I am. I, I, you know, what else can I do? What else can, can we create? Yeah. Um, you know, even thinking back to when I started at Fresno State, just being a, a videographer for University Communications, and then you know, mark brand strategy and marketing gets developed here on the campus, uh, which is a whole other thing. Like marketing and higher education is is is, is also in a, in a boom stage because we need to let the world know that higher education is important. And how do you do that? Well, marketing helps. Um, and so to get more students into your building. Um, paying tuition, you need you need a good marketing team, and so um, that's that's kind of the, the landscape currently of of higher education marketing. But yeah, I started just as a videographer in communications, and then worked my way up to kind of a senior video producer, which didn't exist. Like this, the, the job that I have today did not exist in 2015. Yeah, and it'll just keep growing, you know. Yeah. So a deep for those that don't know, some of the, a lot of listeners are more from the photo world. Um, what is, what exactly is a director of photography? Because I think if they hear director of photography, they think of like the news world or sports world or uh, a, you know a newspaper world, and they think, oh, that person's in charge of all the photography department. Obviously, as people that work in video, we know that's actually not at all what you'll be doing. Yes, yeah, no, it's 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 you know, of course, it stems from Hollywood and you know, motion picture filmmaking. Director of photography is 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 the key camera and lighting lead. Um, and so that term has kind of bled over into corporate America and in the commercial space. And so it is what it is. The same thing. So the, the person who's in charge of camera and lighting on a given production. Um, and so what that doesn't mean is that you're, you're not an editor. That, that's, that's the other thing that kind of appealed to me currently. Like I do everything at Fresno state as a video producer. Um, but in the future, just doing stuff for T-Mobile, my job is to solely make people look good on camera, um, video cameras. Yeah, I think yeah. it's it, it's always interesting how these terms get reused and shifted. And it's so funny, like a video producer is such a funny role because like when I came out of college, everybody who got hired to do a video producer was like shooting, editing. They're like doing, they were like, it was kind of a nice way of saying a one-man band. Um, yep. and, and then now it's like now in the bigger jobs I do, you hear producer and it's like, well, producer, they're, they're just in charge of scheduling stuff and like managing the team or managing the budget or whatever. And it's so funny yeah, how like, they would never touch the camera. Yeah. They never touch anything. <laughs> so it's like, you know, people will be like, Oh, do you, do you have experience as a producer? It's like, depends on what you're asked. It's like so hard to answer those questions and call yourself what you call yourself. And, uh, well, and you yourself too. I mean, photography, video, graphic design, like, or, uh, motion graphics. I see all the stuff you do. It's like, 
you are setting yourself up to do anything you want to do. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Yeah. And it's like, which is cool. It's, it's kind of like a blessing and a curse. Like, I just kind of geek on things and I get into them, but it's like coming out of school, I had a photo degree, but I did a year in film school. So it was like Zach and I went and we were in the film school classes together. Zach Trenka, who Dom knows. And um, so it's like we were kind of came up together going to college together. And that's where we met and we started doing video together. And I clearly saw that was the way to go, but I, I had this photo degree and I was kind of getting most of my work from photos. So it's like, I always thought I'd get rid of the photo cameras. Then every year it's like, well, <laughs> and then the pandemic happened and I all I like switched like all photo for six months. And I was like, well, I'm glad I didn't get rid of them yet. And so <laughs> here we are still in 2022. And I'm like, when am I going to be able to get rid of this photo gear? <laughs> yep. Uh, well, uh, and now it's so, it's so interchangeable too, yeah. right? If, you, if you've got your, your, your Canon shooter, right? Yep. And so you got your R5 and you got your C70. They're both RF mount or what, you know, it's like, it's, it's all interchangeable now. Exactly. You know? Yeah. So to back it up, um, where did this whole thing start for you? Where did, where did you start your visual career, your, your filmmaking career? And, and how did that get you down the road to all the things you're doing now? Because I would think uh, corporate communications or college communications and NFL films and, you know, it's, it's still pretty diverse stuff. Most people I know that work at colleges don't have the chops to keep up with, uh, you know, a drop back pass to the, you know, fade to the end zone. So, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it started with like skate films. And when I say skate films, it was rollerblading films. I guess I should preface that because that's two different genres. Right. Um, but yeah, rollerblading dad's video camera, high school, uh, VCRs, two VCRs together with like a, a little typewriter I got from Best Buy that would put text on to the other VCR. So then you're like making your own titles. And I, I'm not that old, but it sounds like I'm a freaking caveman when I like it, when, when I hear the words coming out of my mouth right now, it's like no one knows what that is. I remember today. I'm I'm <laughs> also don't think I'm that old, but when I was in when I was in high school, I got a one of my Christmas birthday presents was a small uh mini DV video camera. And I was like, I'm going to make the next, I was a BMX guy. So BMX. And I remember like I got it home and I was so excited. And yeah, I remember I filmed my buddy doing a manual and I got back and I'm like, well, now what? And there was no, like, there was nothing you could do with it. Cause it was like, well, do you own a massive computer and a video deck and this? And obviously we didn't have all that. So I was kind of just had these couple of videotapes and I think I ended up returning it or selling it or something like, or whatever. I think I, I don't know what happened to that camera, but. I know it wasn't long lived because I was like, what, what do you do now? And we didn't. Yeah. My dad didn't have the support of it like someone else's parents probably did. So um, <laughs> yeah. I remember when I no, first got and digital, funny, I was like, oh, I, I think I I talked. I was I, I started out what they call high eight millimeter video, you know, and then when I say eight millimeter, people think the old people think film. But no, it's like high eight millimeter videotapes into a camcorder. Um, and then transferring that to VCRs and, and that whole process. It's just so archaic now. And then when it, my graduation gift out of high school from my parents, they asked what I wanted. And I said, I wanted, I want a Mac. I want an iMac. I want a bubble iMac. Oh, because yeah. it, and it was the iMac DV special edition. And it had Firewire 400 ports on it. And I had, my dad had also just bought like a family camcorder that had, digital eight millimeter videotapes. And so you can go firewire 400 into your iMac TV special edition graphite. Um, and it had iMovie and iMovie was that first non-linear, non-linear video editor that I used that 
that set it off. And that was in the year I, I started playing with iMovie in 1999 when it first came out. And then when I graduated in 2000, I, you know, it, really I had a, not professor, I had a teacher in high school who essentially, we were a PC high school. We would only work on PC computers, but he was like the cool teacher. And so he had a Mac. He had one Mac. That was his own personal Mac. And so he would let us all like play with it and use it. And that one had Firewire. And I was like, oh my God, we could take the video camera stuff and put it into the computer and no more VCR to VCR. So anyways, that's where it started essentially in 1999, 2000. And then when I had that one year with him in high school, I knew I wanted to do something in college like that. But again, I, I don't even think I took the SATs. Like I, like going to college was a big college was not in my wheelhouse. So I knew community college was, was where it was at. And so, uh, went to a place called Allen Hancock college in Santa Maria, California, which is, Actually, a trivia question. That's John Madden's first head coaching gig. Oh, man. Was for the Hancock Bulldogs in Santa Maria, California. Then he went on to Cal Poly and, and other places. But By um, train, of course. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't fly for those listening at home. Exactly. So he rode yeah, by, by train, bus, and train. To, bus yes. and train to every one of his games and stuff. So, and then when I was in. Community College, that's when Final Cut Pro came out for the first time. Final Cut Pro 1. Um, and I had some bootleg copy from a, a, a student in my class. And I started making, t- uh, upgrading from iMovie to Final Cut Pro 1. Saw the timeline, loved it. And then in 2002, got my first computer, that Mac computer that can burn DVDs. Mm. And so then I was like turning in my projects in Community College on DVD. And I was like, what? This is nuts. Um, anyways, that sparked my interest to go to film school and, and go to a legitimate like college. And so that's when I applied to a couple different places down in Los Angeles. I got accepted into Cal State Northridge um, and Art Center College of Design. Drastically different price points. I think if you went the private school route, you understand what I'm talking about. State school versus private school. And of course, I went with the private school because Same. I was I was young and dumb and wanted to take out six figures of student loan debt. So um, went to Art Center in 2004 and then uh, graduated in 2006. And, and, and I was really into editing when, before I got into film school. So I really didn't want to focus on editing, knowing how much money I was paying. And cinematography had always kind of been an interest of mine. Cause I always love being behind the camera. So as you know, what? I, like I made a conscious effort to say, I want to be behind the camera and I want to spend all this money to learn that craft and that art. And so those two years at art center, uh, I learned how to shoot on 35 millimeter motion picture film, 16 millimeter film. We weren't digital yet. Um, which is great. So I kind of learned that and that really set me up for what I really wanted to do, which was NFL films. In 2002, my dad became a season ticket holder at, at the 49ers stadium, Candlestick Park. And so I would go with him on occasion when I could, and I would watch all the camera guys on the sideline with binoculars, and I would see that guy is shooting without a cable coming off of his camera. So he wasn't part of like the TV network. And I thought that was interesting. So then when I did more research, I, I found out, that they were still shooting film. And in 2002 and then going to film school, 2004, 
2006, for a company to still be shooting 16 millimeter film was unheard of. And so then I was more in love because then I started to realize all of those plays that I loved watching as a kid of the NFL were all NFL film shots. It was, those were the iconic shots that when I close my eyes and think of the 49ers, I'm, I'm replaying NFL films in my head without even knowing it. Yeah. And then that's when I got, you know, probably that when I was in art center, I really got the bug. Like, how can I do this? How can I like get into that? I never shot sports before. um, And I just, I was about to graduate. I found an internship on a really, like I found internship article on a really like weird website. Uh, Again, this is the early days of the internet and uh, got an email and a phone number and found out you could become an intern. Long story short, 2006, when I graduated, I was a camera department intern in Mount Laurel, New Jersey with NFL Films and essentially assisting all the legendary camera guys that I had grown up watching, you know, all their footage. It's interesting here you had that focus to say that you wanted to focus on cinematography and had that value. And I think that's something that like a lot of young people, I, I, went, I finished RIT at, between the ages of 24 and 26. So I kind of knew like, the value in going back to school is to really learn the photo. Th- it's not the college degree as a whole. It's like, I can learn this photo thing. And then like quickly within the first year, we kind of heard about video because papers were just getting into videos so like 2009, 10 range. Mm-hmm. And it was like, oh, this video thing, this this might be the future too. But it was like hyper-focused on the visual side of school instead of like the other stuff. So it's really cool to hear you say like, even to a higher level, be like, oh, I knew I wanted to go to film school, but I also knew like, I kind of already knew the editing stuff. I need to focus on this other thing. And I think a lot of kids kind of um, get lost in that. Like, well, I'm just doing the next class. I'm doing the thing. It's like, you got to set your own goals, which is really cool. But also like well, talk about the barrier to entry of like, how would you have learned cinematography outside of school? Like nowadays it's pretty easy to go on YouTube and you can kind of learn some film rules, but it's like, where would you have got a 16 or a 35 millimeter cinema camera to like, I mean, you're talking tons of money just to try it out, let alone learn it. Absolutely. And, and yeah, we're still talking about a day and age where it was so expensive to, to shoot like 400 feet of film like that. I mean, to rent the camera or find a camera, figure out how to load it, find some lenses to go with that camera and a tripod that could hold that camera. Like it just was unheard of. So the film school route was very important to me because they had it there. They had it all there for the students. Um, and then of course, as you progress through school, you realize, well, I want, I want the latest and greatest. I don't want the old film school stuff, but that's how you learned. You learned on the, the, the items that they had in at school. And then you went, like we would go to Claremont camera in Hollywood and that's where we would rent our gear from when we were doing bigger productions. And the other thing too, like directing track, cinematography track, editing track, there were three tracks that you could be in, in the BFA program. And I was in the cinematography track when you're in the directing track. You're usually, you've got, you, you want to be a screenwriter or a director. So the way that Art Center was laid out back then is that the directors paid for their own films or spec commercials or music videos to be made. The, that money came out of their pocket. Um, they owned all of their films, which was great, different from kind of some of the other film schools in LA, but they had to fund them. Well, as a cinematographer, you just got to be good enough so someone could say, hey, can you shoot my project? I'm paying for it. And I was like, okay, you're paying for it. That means we get to rent really nice stuff and use all this stuff because they want their project to be the best. And so 
if I had to do it again, I would do it the same way because I didn't really have to, I mean, it was already enough money to make your head spin, but to take another 20, 30, 40, $50,000 to make a short film upon graduation, I was not going to do that. And so now I'm leaving film school with a handful of projects that would probably equal another $200,000 just in, you know, the cost of making productions. Um, and those are on my reel and I didn't have to pay for them. Yeah. And it's like, uh, in, in the, once you get on the real world, obviously those are two vastly different career paths, obviously director and screenwriter versus cinematography or camera department or whatever is obviously two different things. But, um, man, I mean, I went to school on a budget I I'm still paying off my student loans. Um, and I was, you know, eating a lot of cheap food and stuff during school and, I can't imagine being like, oh, I got to shoot this photo project. Well, I got to pay all the talent and pay all the money, which we did a little bit of that. But it was like I heard the horror stories of film schools of just being like, OK, you got to feed the whole crew. It might be McDonald's, but you still got to buy 50 of those McDonald's or whatever. It was like there was a lot of money invested in making those movies and stuff. Yep. Yep. A hundred percent. And um, so that that's really that's really kind of how it started, uh, especially down the film route, you know, shooting 35 millimeter motion picture film as a 20 year old kid, 21, 22, like that was awesome. Um, and knowing how to load it, you know, again, being on the camera side of things, uh, knowing how all that worked, set me up for that internship the next year after graduation. Um, because when NFL films was shooting, you know, $50,000 worth of film every week, they need people to know that know how to load it. And so, I actually got paired up with a camera guy kind of throughout the season and I would be his film loader. So I of course work Monday through Friday in the office at NFL films. And then the weekends, that was my payday because I was making no money. And again, I'm glad that, that it's not a free internship anymore, an unpaid internship. It is a paid, but still like I was making no money, but I looked at it as like Sundays were my payday because I got to be on the sidelines. I'm loading film in a, in a, in a bag. Um, and it was like, it was Christmas every Sunday, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a, what an opportunity at the time, but also it's just like, I don't, I still don't know how to do any of those things and I'll never have to learn them. Right. Like obviously logically I'll never have to learn how to load 35 millimeter video film. But I think about like the analogy to today, if you're 20 years old, you're going to this film school and you're learning, you're shooting on Alexa's or, or, you know, the big end, big reds or whatever, you know what I mean? Being hands on with a mini LF at 20 versus at 30 or 35 is priceless let alone you know i can't imagine being able to shadow like the 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 nfl i don't know the nfl films guys but i'm thinking like the you know the neil leaf or or whatever like all the old school Mm -hmm. photo people and be like okay you're gonna sit here son and like this is why you're gonna do this and i was like you know how fast you'd learn in those three or four months versus you know trying to figure it out yourself and that's well and too i mean there are i mean it was it's hit and miss with some of those the older guys. Right. So some were like that and they were willing to share their ideas and some were, they're just not going to talk today, you know? <laughs> and so, um, you find the ones who are, are willing to kind of take you under their wing and kind of show you some stuff. Um, and those are the people you gravitate towards and of course become lifelong friends with. And so again, that's those Sundays when I was an intern, you know, either I was running film or I was loading film. So I was either the middleman or the, the loader. Um, and then it's just picking, you know, on a TV timeout, just picking the camera guy's brain. Yeah. You know, and I made a YouTube video about uh, one of the guys and some of the stuff that he was talking about, you know, 
I saw him running to both sidelines. It was a night game, Monday night, September 11th, 2007. The Redskins were playing someone. Um, and he, we kept like jumping sidelines. You know, we'd be on the, the, the Redskins sideline one series. The next series, we'd go to the Giants sideline or whatever. And I was like, wait, so what are we doing? He goes, well, it's a night game. There's no sun. Um, and we have a right-handed quarterback and a left-handed quarterback. Or, or we have two right-handed quarterbacks. Um, and so ha- half of the quarter, his back's towards me. So let's avoid that. And I want him to open up to me. So I want to face his, the front of his jersey, not the back of his jersey. Yeah, so you just stay on and, the side of his throwing hand. So for those exactly. visualizing yep. this at home. So if he's right-handed, you'd be on his right side. Yes. Um, and so where it becomes, where that doesn't come into play is when it is a day game and you, you, and you want the players to stay backlit. So it doesn't matter. But those dome games or those night games, you have a little bit more freedom because you could, you could do what you want. And that's the other thing about NFL films that has really drawn me to them and make me and, and, and why I've loved shooting the past 15 seasons because it, there's no one telling you what to do. Like there's no director in your ear. So yes, you could really mess up, but you also have that creative freedom to kind of, um, you know, push the limits and explore. And if you know that there's multiple cameras there, some games have more than others then you really get to have fun and, and the creative juices are flowing and you got all these cool lenses to play with. Um, and that's, that's what, again, it's, it's Christmas on Sundays again, you know, man. I, so one of the things you said there that's so funny to me is again, talking about this grand Canyon of both sides of the same fence. I, I would never, ever, I mean, I would, but it'd be pretty rare to hear a sports talker be like, well, you know, you just want to be backlit the whole game. Like, no, let's no, just be like, no, I'm going to go to the side where he's face. I need face and ball, face and ball. And meanwhile, you're like, uh, yeah, I'm going to stay on this side of the sideline the whole game just because the sun's over there. It's something I would do if I'm working alone, but, yeah. um, but, but it's like one of those luxuries versus just like, oh, yeah, no, naturally, I just don't shoot him this quarter. That's fine. Like, <laughs> that's so great to hear. Uh, well, and, you know, I think. You've been on many, many NFL sidelines. There, there is an there's an access, and uh, I'll call it a privilege to what we get to do because NFL films and the TV networks kind of get to go wherever they want. You know, of course, when the when the ball's in play, you you got to stay on the sidelines. But we even then get to be in front of most people who are shooting the game, and so that's a huge luxury to have. And you don't get the, like when I shoot a college game, like now I feel like wait, I'm I don't have I don't have that access. Yeah, why don't um, I get that one so, extra foot? Yeah. <laughs> That's all we're talking about here. It's like one more foot, but they get it that. Is. Yeah, but it's a big difference. And, and two, the pregame, postgame, locker rooms. Yeah, of course. That all comes into play too. Um, but I don't know. It, it, it is nice to be able to do and go wherever I want to go. So I think one thing that like a lot of people ask me is like, well, Brett, why don't you go shoot for NFL films and stuff like that? Um, and honestly, I've... I, I've it's a whole nother stratosphere of world and everything like that. Right. But what are some of the things you're doing as far as your kit, as far as your approach, you have a great YouTube channel, by the way, that uh, Zach and I watch, and he has a great video about how he shoots football and you guys should all go check it out. But, um, I want to hear about like what kind of cameras you guys are using, what kind of lenses you're using and like, what are some of the deciding factors and, and you know, like what, what's kind of going into that brass tacks of like shooting a football game. Yeah. Um, it's so funny. I was at, I just shot Monday night in Phoenix. Um, Cardinals were playing the Rams. After the game, I could see some, there's like some younger kids right on the rail kind of watching me break down the camera. And they're like, what kind of, what did they say? They said, uh, what resolution are you shooting at? 
You know, that's the first question that came out of their mouth because thanks to marketing and everything, 8K, 4K, 6K, you got to have a K in there, right? Yeah, exactly. And um, I was like, we just shoot 1080p. Like I shoot on a, on an area mirror and because of the high frame rates and the way that NFL films gets their footage from the games to Mount Laurel, New Jersey, like adding any more Ks, a 2K, 4K, whatever, is just going to bog the system down currently. And so um, we shoot 1080p on Airy Amiras primarily. Uh, there's a couple of Lexas in the mix too, but um, I own my own Airy Amira. And then um, that allows me to rent it to the NFL on Sundays. Um, we use like older video lenses that were made for like news cameras um, primarily. Of course, those news cameras were smaller sensor, two third inch sensor cameras. And now on an, on these bigger super 35 sensor cameras, you have to blow up the image. So there's an adapter involved. Um, and that's the, that's probably my, my go-to lens for football is a 23 by Fujinon, um, essentially ENG B4, two third inch lens. I shoot, that's how you, you can essentially get a nice tight shot of a quarterback dropping back and a, and a ball flying through the air. Um, and you have that range because the, like on, if you look on the barrel on one of those lenses, it's like 7.8 millimeters to 165 millimeters. Well, that's not much when you're talking like on a football field today, because that won't even get you, you can't do any close-ups at 165 millimeters, but because you have that adapter that blows up the image to a super 35 sensor, now it's like a doubler. And so now you're talking about the 14 millimeter to 300 millimeter, 300 plus millimeter range, which now you're, it's a really good range in a compact lens. You're, of course, there are sacrifices. You lose a, a good chunk of light and it's not the crispest lens. It's not as sharp as a cinema lens, but it gets the job done and it has for decades for NFL films. Yeah, it's kind of cool to think about. So to put this in like photo terms, basically he... The the B four like that that ENG style mount is basically like a micro four thirds camera or like a you know really small film sensor size and so now and you know this might be uh, a little bit basic for some people but it expands it out so instead of being like a teleconverter it's kind of the opposite effect and that it's expanding out the image well it actually is doing a teleconverter it's expanding it out like a teleconverter would. So it covers the whole Super 35 sensor, which is like an APS-C or like a, you know, a Canon Rebel, something like that, like roughly that size sensor. So it's basically like putting a 2X teleconverter on a lens for a Micro Four Thirds camera and then putting it on like a Canon Rebel sense sensor. So that 165 or so is doubled and then it's also inside of a, a sensor that's not like a full frame sensor. So it's kind of like you have like a 14 to 300 or 14 to 600 or something like that well, in full yeah, frame terms. Yeah, my math, it's, <laughs> sometimes it makes my head hurt when I try and figure it out. But one day I like, I try to jot it down and I want to say, because it's not even, I think it's a little bit more than two times. So it might be 2.25 times, um, to make that image that big, um, 20 millimeters to 400 millimeters is it, it, it's some of my calculations is what, I, is but it's, what I've kind of figured. But it's a wide angle to a pretty aggressive telephoto is the, uh, the, the point. So it's like, you, which, yeah, which in a, in the cinema world is, is a 65 pound lens, you know, Correct. like if you're trying to get that, uh, on a movie set without any adapters, that <laughs> lens is like as big as a motorcycle, you know? Yeah. It's ridiculous. Yeah. 
And then in the photo world, like if I were to take my gear, I use a 600 now, but 400 is also popular. And then you'd have a 70 to 200 and then you'd have a roughly 16 to 35 or 24 to 70 or something. So I'm covering roughly 24 to 600, but I'm doing it across three cameras. And I have the luxury of, since I'm making still photos, I can drop the 600 camera, pick up the 7200 or have the 24 to 70. If they go the other way, go back to the 600. You you can swap it and you're not tracking through a motion picture file, which is obviously you can't just, oh, let me just throw this Amira over and grab my long Amira. Uh, and we'll clip them together and post like it doesn't work that way. So that's the importance of that that range. Um, yeah, it, and and of course, manual focus is a huge part of this uh, too. Like, just again, that's muscle memory over fifteen seasons to just figure out on a lens like that the actual focus throw from like the fifty yard line to the goal line is not as dramatic as it would be on a cinema lens. Meaning, I don't have to crank that focus so far that it becomes hard to do or uncomfortable. It's very minor touches in that focus to go from, you know, 10 feet to 20 feet or 20 feet to 50 feet. Like they're very minimal movements, which is another benefit when you're trying to track a football through the air. Man, it's crazy. I mean, you, I mean, we've all grown up. If you're in any way into NFL, you've seen NFL films footage, you know, it's a cinematic footage they use on broadcast of course but you know you always have those like documentaries about you know these historic players or historic games and you know it's like let's go boys and and they got the audio and all that and it's just like you watch it but i mean what photographers do is hard but watching like some of your behind the scenes and some of the stuff you do on your youtube channel on your instagram where it's like showing the play and how fast that's happening because you're shooting it at probably 180 or 200p or whatever and it's slowed down so in post it's like look at all the time between you threw that ball and when it got caught in the end zone in front of you but in reality it's like two seconds it's like literally like hey they're at the 35 yard line oh he's throwing it this way oh shoot and it's like you don't know where the person's throwing it you don't know that's even a throw or a pass or, or a run play or interception or whatever it's like you're you're kind of chasing live and it's like oh it's incredible to watch what you guys can do it's absolutely amazing well yeah and, and again i think some do it better than others and i am not by far one of the best but i i just i'm consistent and i you know i give them a, a pretty image you know i think and and they keep calling so again i have always said if it ended tomorrow i had a heck of a run uh 15 seasons 10 super bowls like that's, I mean, one Super Bowl is enough, you know, like the fact that I've been able to, to be paid for 10 of them, like I'm, I, I, I could be done tomorrow. You know, yeah. I've had a good run. So if we go back to the other side of the fence, so, or go back in time, I guess, so back where you left college, you get this internship and obviously NFL film things, but that's not your full-time gig. What, what was going on on the other nine months of the year or whatever? You know what I mean? Like there's a lot of time that clearly you found yourself now in this T-Mobile job. What was happening on the other side of the fence to pay the bills? Yeah, no, it's, it's, it, there was one season. So I, I did the internship. I wrapped up after Super Bowl 41 in Miami, and that would have been, you know, winter of 2007. And then uh, internship's over. They've got no job. You know, you think, oh, you're in an internship, and then they're just going to hand you a job. No, that doesn't happen. Um, I still really hadn't shot football. <laughs> like I had been... I had impressed the right people with my work ethic, but I hadn't um, shot any football. So they had nothing to see. So I made it a point to try and find some football to shoot back in California um, and found some uh, arena football games happening. And I 
borrowed a buddy's uh, HVX 200 Panasonic P2 card camera, which is nothing like a 16 millimeter camera. Like the lens is attached. You can't take it off. But I was, I was trying to send them something and then they would send uh, some notes back and I would try and do it again. So it's kind of like I was making my own like tryout kind of reel. Um, and then that 2007 season, I was, I was able to shoot five preseason games in four weeks in California and ended up getting a shot to shoot and actually get paid for it September of 2007 uh, in Seattle. And I was just, it was awesome because I got to shoot 16 millimeter film on the sidelines. Um, and, but I didn't have another job. So I lived, uh, uh, me and a buddy lived in Huntington beach and we were just beach bums and I would just work on the weekends. And then I realized after that season, like that is not how you, that you cannot (laughs) live. You cannot live working one day a week. Uh, and I, I didn't have a family, didn't have any, you know, kids or anything. So I made it work, but immediately after that season, I came back to Fresno and, and moved back in, in my house with my parents. And um, that's when I was like, man, I really need to like do something. I need to get a job before next football season. I'm sure your dad so is I, reminding I started, you of those too. Oh, 100%. Um, you can't just so shoot football I had a, also. <laughs> <laughs> I can just imagine those thing, that Thanksgiving dinner. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I had a buddy I went to film school with who was working at the Apple store in Fresno. And he's like, dude, all I do all day is I teach people how to use iPhoto and iMovie and Final Cut. I teach seven people a day, and then I go home at seven hours, and you have an hour for lunch. And I was like, at the Apple store? And he's like, yeah. So he's like, and we have an, we have an opening. It was called a creative. That's what Apple called it. I remember and those. So I became a creative at the Apple store fashion fair for five and a half years. I became lead creative. And then at the end there, I was like the lead genius part of the, uh, in charge of the technicians, but I was, a, I was a retail employee for five and a half years. So I would, and I built all these great relationships with these customers who I was almost like a therapist where I would have the same customers come in every week and I knew them by first name. They knew my story. I knew their story. And I would just look at their pictures on iPhoto with them and show them how to, you know, tweak a couple things here and there. And then the hour would be up and I'd on to, on to the next. And so I'd literally, I'd shoot a playoff game in, in Lambeau Field because I was still shooting for NFL Films. And I'd come back Monday and, and work in the mall in Fresno. Um, but Apple was a great company to work for because of the benefits and because of the, the stock options. I mean, it's, it's not a separate thing. Like you work in an Apple store, you work for Apple. Yeah, yeah. You get all the benefits that you would get if you worked in Cupertino. You just work in a mall. Yeah, um, I wish I did that and, instead of working at Best Buy for three years. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't have an Apple store in uh, Athens, Pennsylvania, though. So uh, we did yeah, have a Best no, Buy. It, it, was, it was a great run. So I, that was my Monday through Friday. And then in that five and a half years, got a girlfriend. Then we got married in 2011. And then 2014, had our first kid. But before I, once I left Apple, I knew I needed to, I wanted a job where I could. I didn't want to just shoot stuff on the weekends. I wanted to shoot things Monday through Sunday. Yeah. Um, and so I found a job with a local off-road manufacturing company here in Fresno called Trail Gear. They're big in like the Toyota aftermarket space for lifting your truck. And if they want to help me cases. out with my F-150 that needs a suspension and everything, <laughs> please give them my phone number because I want that truck to get built. Just a shameless yes. plug. Yes. <laughs> So, and of course, Trail Gear really focused on the mini truck, right? The, the, the Tacoma, and even before the Tacoma, just a Toyota pickup. 
um, you know, solid axle swaps on those, those, uh, 1986 to 1992 Toyotas. Um, anyway, so I did all the video and photo marketing for them for about 18 months. And, and then it was, it was a really small company. I was used to Apple with like big benefits and, and, you know, to go to a smaller company like that with only like, I think there were 60 employees at the time and I was the only one in marketing. So I was doing it all. Uh, I got to make some really cool videos, got to do some really cool storytelling, which set me up to apply for a job at Fresno state. And then in 2015, I did, I got hired at Fresno state, left trail gear. And here it is six and a half years later, I'm leaving Fresno state. How, what was it like? Um, I think a lot of people I talk to on Instagram and that listen to the show, like, um, are kind of like in that gamble position. I kind of think, right. It's like, I kind of got something going and I don't know how to make it to, I want to do this other thing. And, and I did it. I was working at Best Buy and it was kind of cushy. I, I mean, I, it was, a, it was a very brainless job. I was making almost 40 grand a year which 13 years ago was decent for being 23. Um, and so then like, you, I'm sure you took a pay cut or some kind of loss when you went from Apple over to that. What was that jump like? And what was going through your mind when you were like, uh, I guess I'm gonna try this movie making thing. Yes, it was, it was a $10,000 pay cut to leave Apple and go to the off-road manufacturing company. But the owner was like, the owner of the off-road company, Matt Messer, really gave me free reign to kind of make whatever movies I wanted. And he had this cool, like, yes, they're a manufacturing company and they make all these parts with cool, like they've got welders on staff and, but they also had this like racing component. And so they would, they would compete with like off-road racing. And that was like, okay, they do that. And I go to a couple of those races and put a microphone on him. And essentially I was doing like NFL film stuff, but in the off-road racing community, um, you know, I, I went to King of the Hammers my first time because of that company, um, out in California, which is a, a massive off-road go fast race as they call it. And then there was rock crawling, which was slow, articulate, like thought out 10 minute long, um, obstacle courses for essentially moon buggies, what you call them, um, with rear steer and front brakes, rear brakes. Uh, it, it was crazy. Um, and I'd never been a part of that. So again, I got to tell those stories for that company. Um, and then I took another pay cut to come to Fresno state. So I was like slowly progressing backwards <laughs> as it pertained to income. Your Thanksgiving again, dinners that, were a nightmare. <laughs> Son, you well, gotta make more no money. One, as you no get one needed there. to know that I was going backwards. I just knew my wife knew like, wait, it's another pay cut. Um, but again, I knew that working at a university, there was potential, of course, for a pension and good healthcare benefits. We were, we were, you know, we had a kid at the time, then we were going to have another kid. So again, I always tell my wife, like my job, let me just get health insurance again. Welcome to America. But my job is to get health insurance. She's a real estate agent, so she doesn't have that option or to just pay out of pocket. So where can I get the best health insurance? Well, working at a university checks that box for sure. Um, And so Again, all the while doing all these other jobs, every Saturday I would travel to another NFL city, I'd shoot a game on Sunday, come back Sunday night or Monday morning. Um, and that's just how it's been. Yeah. And so so when you're working at this company, I think a thing that I kind of run into with these like off-road company world and like I got a kid I mentor and he's kind of looking at a job at like a company. It's not off-road or anything, but it's kind of like a small business that kind of understands they need like someone to do this stuff full time. 
How'd that work with like equipment and investment and that stuff? I mean, was it just like you showed up and you were basically a freelancer that that was your full-time job or full-time? Like I heard people say that, like, this is my full-time job, but I basically treat it like I have one client now or something like that. Was it kind of that kind of world or was it? Um, I had in the interview process for that job, <clears throat> we talked about equipment at the time. I, I owned nothing. Like I, I think I had a 5D Mark II. Um, yeah, there wasn't much to I, buy at that time that was affordable. <laughs> it was like, do you want a video camera or do you want to yeah. spend a, like yep. literally tens upon tens of thousands of dollars to own a very crappy red one or something? Exactly. And so in that interview process, the owner was, was gung ho. I mean, this, this position really hadn't existed before at that company. And so he was like, whatever you need, you know, once you come on board, you tell me, you make a list and I'll look at it and I'll say yes or no. And you know, Again, I wasn't going to put on the big ticket stuff, but I did. I saw an FS 700 as an yeah. option. So to be able to shoot, of course, 1080, um, which was all you need at that point. And to be able to do like 240 frame burst mode was like, that was awesome. I was like, I can shoot 240 frames per second of this race car stuff. And I got really good at that, that, that end trigger where you, something cool happened and then you push record because it's been buffering at 240 frames. Um, and so it was an FS 700. It was like an 18, it was like one of the cheap Sony zoom lenses. It actually had a, a little servo on it. Um, so it was like 18 to 200, you know, four, five to five, six kind of lens. Yeah. And, um, and, uh, like an airy D kit, like, you know, three light kit, hot lights and LEDs weren't a thing. Um, and a boom pole and a couple wireless lobs. And so they bought it all right when I got started. And so again, to have that investment from the company, I think that's what every company should do is that if they're not going to provide it, then they should pay you for it. If you have it, I had nothing. So I needed them to buy it. Yeah. Which I think I totally agree with what you're saying. I think it's like, I, I struggle with that where it's like, well, you know, if you don't have it, then you got to give me money for me having it, <laughs> uh, which yeah. I haven't gone into the whole trying to get a full-time job at a company thing. So I've been freelance pretty much my whole career, yeah. but I've definitely had those thoughts about these. I see these smaller companies looking to hire someone, and I'm like, "Who buys the stuff? <laughs> like, who <laughs> and, buys the thing? <laughs> and who who continues to buy that thing? It's one thing to ask for fifty thousand dollars when you first start to like build a kit, yeah. Um, but it's another thing four years later when you need to spend another twenty thousand to upgrade the camera body or whatever, yeah. And so that's one thing, actually. You know that we have here at Fresno state, which is what we call an equi equipment refresh list that I stole from someone else on campus who had done it, but he essentially sent me the Excel spreadsheet and you essentially give your gear a year that it's going to expire. Yeah. And so like, we just got a C70 here on campus. That is a four year life in my mind. I can, I can use that for four years before I, something new comes out or it breaks. Yep. Um, and so that, $7,000 or whatever it was gets divided over the next four years that you save from your budget. And in four years, you're going to have $7,000 again to buy another camera. Yep. And so we do that with everything. Lenses, seven years, uh, tripods, 10 years, and you have these years associated with it. And then it helps your, your finance people to figure out what they need to put away every year so that when we do need a new $8,000 tripod, the money's there. Yeah, that's smart. I've never obviously been in that position, but I've always like heard of friends who work at new newspapers are notoriously bad for gear. Like it's newspapers are bad for everything, but um gear is really like a struggle. You always hear about people at papers being like, 
well, you know, we just won all these awards and yet I can't get a camera that's modern. Like, you know what I mean? Like we're shooting on 20 D's, but we just won this big award, but so they're happy to throw us a pizza party, but they're not going to willing to like replace our cameras or something. There's horror stories of like newspaper photographers having like one camera and one lens that works and everything else is broken. And you're just like, how do they expect you to do your job? And I'm like, eh, they don't really care if we do our jobs, but, yeah. um, well, you know, just treat it like you would your own gear. Like, you know, and, and, and you got to get the right managers in place and, and the right people to buy in. Yeah. And again, if you are winning awards, those conversations are a little bit easier to have. Of course. So now you have this full-time job and what are you, what kind of projects are you making and what are some tips to give to the younger listeners of like, what would you say to someone looking to go this route? What were, what were some of the things that you're like, you're going to do a lot of X, Y, Z. And like, this is the important things to focus on to get a job in you know, college communications or something. Yeah. I mean, the, the mundane things that I do today at Fresno state would be, you know, the president needs to, to, to get out a message, um, with the teleprompter message that we record and give it to the, the people who are going to social media or whatever. Yeah. Um, but you can still treat that like it needs to look good. I mean, he's the president of the university and it needs to, you know, the lighting should be there. And this is something that I'm kind of essentially diving into with T-Mobile is working a lot with executives and, and really tight schedules. And so having that front end schedule to get it ready, like sometimes we have to just go into, let's say, an executive or president's office set up while they're just sitting there. So you, you're really under pressure, which is not a good place to be. But if you think about it, like we did during kind of the pandemic, it was is there a place on campus since campus is, is virtual that we can set up and just leave? And that really helped us out because anytime these messages pop up, there's really a lot of short notice things. Well, we just flip on the lights and get the teleprompter loaded and we're good to go. Instead of like this whole stressful situation of pushing a cart full of gear up to the fourth floor of the library and having five minutes to set up as opposed to really like dialing it in and making it look good. When it, when it looked good, when, when people look good on camera, then they want you to keep doing that. And so just having people above you understand that it takes time to make people look good. Yeah. Um, and again, those are the kind of the things that are just, that just come with the territory in any kind of corporate cinematographer or video producer role. Um, and then the fun things that we get to do is, is tell stories and, and those stories are kind of up to us, especially on a university. You have, we have 24,000 students every year. And that rotates every four years, six years. And so it's just constant, like, the, the, the stories never end. There's so many stories on this campus, we can't tell them all. And that is a good place to be when you like to tell stories. Um, and so those are the fun things that I love to do. You know, there's like a, we just did a story on a student who's trying to save an endangered species. So she's out in the desert catching lizards with fishing poles, tagging them, um, working with the Bureau of Land Management to make sure that, area is secure and and safe and no one is like driving their jeeps on it and and stuff like that and so there was cool there's cool stories like that all over this campus and every campus across this country to tell and so that's one thing i'm going to miss about the university setting is that the constant turnover of stories is endless you know that's a that's a cool so did you go out and like Obviously, I feel like in a newspaper, they'd be like, do a portrait of this person on Tuesday. They did this thing this last week. But so you could go out and film B-roll and and do your interviews and stuff out in a setting like that. And that. Yeah. Well, and two, we have. So, again, 
there's there's a whole bunch of people that are involved with telling like there's communication specialists that work with each college, so College of Science and Math and Agricultural College, and so making having the buy-in of those key stakeholders on campus, showing them what you can do, and then having them come to you when they have the really good story. Yeah, um, because we have a website called stories.fresnostate.edu, and that has become kind of like the main storytelling website in my eyes for this university, even so much so like the commercials that when you watch Fresno state football on national television, the commercial you see is going to point you to stories.fresnostate.edu. And again, that whole like approach is to get the sports fan tuned in to what is actually happening on the academic side of this university. Um, because we've got their attention, they're watching football, but can we get them to go to the storytelling website, which has a couple sports stories on it, but really hones in on the faculty and the students and what they're able to do and what they are accomplishing. Um, it's kind of like marketing gold. You know, you, there's, you really can't mess up with some of these stories that are on campus, whether it's a first generation college student or it's an undocumented student who's like, like getting their PhD. There's so many stories to tell and um, it's, it's great. And, and again, no, everybody on campus kind of, looking to us to tell those good stories. So we have to say no a lot because sometimes it's not as visual as you'd want it to be. Yeah. But uh, for the most part, when it's visual and they're catching lizards in the desert, we want to be there. That's so cool. It's so cool that they buy into that too. Like if if I, I mean, I know one or two people that work on college campuses, but like if you would have told me like, oh, hey, you work on a college campus, I would think that like they'd just be like, okay, we got another new initiative and like this is the thing we're going to talk about this year and like, you know, it's this new uh, app we're going to, I don't know, it'd just be like really boring on-campus stuff. So it's pretty cool to hear like, oh yeah, we're just going to go make a documentary about saving lizards and be like, yeah, I'd watch that and that's pretty neat and you know, what a trip that would be to go do and everything about that's so cool. Yeah, and again, that that was not my job in 2015. I have essentially created the job again with just small little steps of trust. And it it starts at the vice president level, even at the president level, like because I've worked so closely with the university president for six and a half years. And now we have a new one that just came in. Like I'm in his office so often. And and then my boss is right under him. And so when, when ideas like this come out, like it's really easy to go to the top and say, Hey, we'd love to get funding so we could go do this. Or we want to go to the basketball tournament in Vegas because we're focusing on a story on one of the basketball team members or whatever like it's trust you can't walk in the door day one and think you're going to tell lizard stories when you're hired by university communication but it'll get there if you just win the trust of the people that can say yes you know do you have a specific example of something you did early on that was like all right i i know that i want to like i i know you know you obviously know you want to progress and grow that seems like a big strategy of yours in your whole career but like was there any specific example of like, hey, here, you know, I did this and that kind of won something over or anything like that? Yeah. So every year there's a there's there's a thing called Top Dog. Fresno State is the Bulldogs. So Top Dog is the alumni awards that are distributed to the best alumni Fresno State has to offer. Um, that is typically a gala event in our basketball arena with 1,200 people and a sit down dinner where someone wins grabs their statue, just like the Academy Awards, and gives a speech. In 2015, um, it was, there was a leadership decision to say, can we make this event more interesting? And so 
when I got hired, one of my first jobs was to tell 14 different stories. So instead of a speech or a long speech, they're going to get a vignette about their life. And that was, I actually, as I'm cleaning out my desk here, uh, I found like my first um, review from my first manager and I was just kind of reading it over like annual review. And it, it kept going back to the top dog and the leadership and the, just the initiative I took to kind of make that my own. Cause I thought that was so cool. Like I get to meet these established alum who are very successful in their lives and careers and tell their stories in two and a half minutes. That is right up my wheelhouse. I love like, again, telling stories and, and that documentary style. And that event has since evolved um, to now a, a 30 minute or a 60 minute TV show, like on local television um, where the gala COVID didn't help either, but the gala has kind of gone by the wayside and now it's a TV show. Um, and so that's super rewarding to see that go from what it was, which is a two and a half minute video for 14 people into a 60 minute television show highlighting these 14 people. And every year, you know, come up with something different. How are you going to do it? Is it going to be separate? Are they going to be intertwined? Um, and, and that comes back to how does it look? What are they looking at? That's when we invested in like an eye direct, you know, the, the, the piece of equipment where you're looking into the lens, but you see the interviewer uh, off to the side, you know, where they're looking right into the lens. It's, again, we're buying equipment to help support our storytelling needs. Um, so yeah, Top Dog 2015 was kind of the starting point. And I'd only, I'd only been on the job for a couple months when I did that project. That's so cool. It's, this reminds me of, I was at the Vikings uh, facility this summer doing their headshots for like the NFL. And um, I was there and I was talking to uh, Andy, who's their team photographer. And, and I'm obviously, he, he's stills only, but I was kind of talking about the video team and like, he kind of gave me a quick tour, which was probably against COVID protocols. We probably found out later, <laughs> but anyways, I checked out their facility and he was saying that, they they and I was curious to get your thoughts on it, but it kind of reminded me of this of like they basically split their video team into like three different needs. And they have like a social video team, a more broadcast or like news, a more traditional like video team, and then they have like a documentary storytelling video team, which was like so cool, which Andy is not under that department and his boss is totally different. But it was really cool to see how they like kind of broke down those needs. Do you see something like that uh where you're at or where you're going where it's kind of like you know, these are so separate items and it's kind of interesting here. You talk about this, this evolve, but it's like, I'm sure you guys maybe do a mix of that or, you know, you know, cause I think a lot of young people, like they see a job at like a company doing video and it, it's even as someone who's older, I like see a job that's like doing video and I'm like, do they want me to make like TikToks or do they want me to make documentaries? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. No, it, again, because of those early projects, what that does, that sets the stage to hire more people to help because then you become kind of your team becomes kind of the one that everybody wants to come to, which increases the demand. And so now you're, you're growing a department with more video producers. And so currently we have three um, and we kind of do it all. Another thing is the institutional commercial for the university too. Like that was completely, that was always farmed out. And most universities farm it out because they don't have the in-house ability to make a 30 second commercial to go on national television. But we fought for it and said we could do it because all they were doing was paying 25 grand a year for a company to call me on the phone and say, do you have footage of the fountain or do you have footage of the basketball arena? And it's like, so it's just an editing job. Like, so 
that really helped win over, like, we could do it in-house, we could write it, we, you know. So the institutional commercial is, is now in-house, um, which is not farmed out. And so, um, yes, I think the future is these kind of divisions. The Raiders have this. I've actually um, done some stuff for the Raiders. They have a whole team that is that just does historical alumni Raider stories. So they go find the old guys and they interview them for like two days in their home and get all the stories out of them they want. And then they're going to use that for a whole bunch of different things in the future. But it's, it's like preserving the history of that franchise, um, which I could totally see happening at a university or, you know, anything like, I think the, the future is super bright for the video industry and storytelling industry because it, everything's visual and, and, and people love visual today. Yeah. Yeah. I would as we, see, as we're on a podcast, that's audio, but no. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry, everyone that I didn't think there should be a video <laughs> podcast two years ago. And now I look like an idiot. No, I love, uh, it. I love it. Yeah. It's funny that like the first couple I did were like, obviously audio. Then people start asking like, is this video too? And I'm just like coordinating enough with like just getting video audio is so hard. I can't imagine being like, now set up your camera. Okay. You got a light. Okay. Put the window over there. <laughs> be a nightmare no yeah, uh, yeah um so i i have i have three questions i kind of ask everybody um but i have from the text world zach has asked a question um nice. so we we kind of already talked about the interest the difference between covering a game versus photo or video which you should probably dive into that um and and he was kind of asking about like when you cover a game, you mentioned earlier that like when there's multiple people there versus when you're working alone, how does that change your approach? Because like we talked about a little earlier and that was one of Zach's questions. He's like, I'm curious to hear how he says how he covers a game alone versus a team. So like the Super Bowl, this is kind of funny. So Don and I have never met, right? We, he lives in California. I live in Tennessee. And before this, I lived in Pennsylvania. So we follow each other on Instagram because of going to NAB. I think like we met Dakota Deal and he was mentioned you or something. So I followed you then. Um, a few years back. So I've always followed you remotely. And then sure enough, like the day after the Super Bowl, I look to your Instagram and you literally post from like above my head, the flyover. <laughs> I literally ran to the top section of the Super Bowl and I, I went and I got my wide angle out and I shot, you know, what ran pretty big for ESPN. And then behind me is exactly where your camera position was. So that was super funny. But it'd be curious to hear how you approach like a game as a team, whether it be like a Super Bowl size team or just like a, I'm sure like a primetime game maybe has two people instead of one or something. I actually don't know how you guys break that down. Yeah, no, I think, and I think too, stress level is in my mind, as stressful as a Super Bowl could sound to capture in my mind, because there's so many of us and we're all doing specific tasks that my stress level and focus becomes, I don't know, I don't want to say it's easier, but it, it in my mind, I, I, I can sleep easier at night the night before a Super Bowl than I can when I know I'm one of two cameras at a game. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, well, I think it's that pre-production, like you had said during setting up a corporate interview. Like, you know, it's like, yeah. hey, if if I know this is where we got to be and everything's planned and set and we know everything, it's really easy. But if it's like, hey, this is not a big deal. Let's just go shoot this interview with this professor real quick an hour before it. It's probably like, wait, what? No. Like, uh, you know, even though it's totally, yeah. quote, not as important. Yeah, so when I'm, you know, the, the minimum number of cameras would be two, one in the press box, one in the field when I shoot a, uh, like a, a National Football League film or, or uh, 
National Football League game. Um, and so typically I'm on the field shooting 48 frames or 60 frames of every play. Uh, and as long as I get every play or most of the plays, sometimes photographers get in the way, but you're <laughs> when welcome. I'm running with, or I won't blame photographers. I'll blame the cart, the Monday night cart or the Thursday night camera cart, uh, that needs to travel behind the bench, the same direction that I need to go. But so you might miss a play or two, but I'm there. Like I'm telling the story of the game from my perspective, which is on the field. And so to me, yes, following the football is hard, but it's really like taking a step back and saying, what is this game actually what's happening? Because you can get so focused on like trying to capture the quarterback dropping back and where's he throwing it and which way is it going? And was it in focus? And then you forget like the score is three to six. This is a defensive ball game and you didn't get any ISOs or any shots of the defense. Uh, and it's the fourth quarter and you're like, wait, what? Uh, or you didn't, you didn't see who intercepted the ball. And so you didn't like, I love to get it. Like if I miss an interception, it's one thing it happens. Cause sometimes they're on the, they're near the benches, but I always put it in the back of my mind to go get an ISO of that player. Let's say it's Buda Baker or something on the, on the Cardinals. Number three, like they don't know that I got that ISO a quarter and a half later. Like they can use that in the edit to say, you know, you know, you see him kind of like creeping up to the, to the line of scrimmage. Just get an ISO of that. Then you go back over to the quarterback. They could use that in the edit. So then it's like thinking like an editor, which I am at Fresno state. I'm an editor as well as a, as a videographer. So those edits help, but it's all these things when you're by yourself that, you know, you need to capture. I need to get fan shots. I need to get, uh, you know, ISOs coaches. Can I get both coaches? Um, a great shot. And sometimes a shot is a shot, but you want it to be usable and look good. And, um, so it's hard to do. It's hard to get my internal checklist every game. But if I can get 75, 75% of it as good shots, I feel like I had a good game as opposed to a playoff game or Super Bowl where like Super Bowl, I'm just like where what you were just talking about. I'm just following one person and, and that's it. Like frame it, focus it and don't let that person leave your frame. And yeah. if they're talking about something that's nearby, maybe go pick off a shot of that thing real quick, then go back to them. You know, there's, there's lulls when someone like, let's say is wearing a microphone um, and you're following them for the whole game. There's lulls. They're just sit on the bench or do whatever in those moments. Can you be an editor and go get something for the editor? Like a shot of the shoes that they were making fun of five minutes ago. Um, but it's, it's really, really focused. And again, to me, that's easier than trying to get the full checklist of things that I need to do when I'm only by myself. Um, I really, I really enjoy the playoffs for a couple of reasons because I, I usually have a, an assignment, um, whether that's shooting slow motion or whether that's shooting a player with a microphone on them or a coach. Um, but it's also a reunion. Uh, this is a small group of people that get to do what I do and we all know each other. And the playoffs are those reunions where I get to see my friends from Ohio and Florida and New York and New Jersey that I don't get to see throughout the season. Um, so the reunion, the, the like the family aspect of NFL films is is really cool. Man, that's that's really neat. And when you say you're following one person, you you quite literally mean one person, right? Not like oh, Actually, I'm following yeah, the person so with the ball. Like you're what I was shooting at that Super Bowl. I still it hasn't been released, so I can't talk about it. But when it is released, I think it's coming in January or something. Um, it, it's literally I shot something in February of twenty twenty one. 
that will not be seen by anybody until I think January, February of 2022. That's crazy. And, <laughs> and it's weird. Like, um, but yes, if someone's wearing a microphone for NFL films, there is one person either, either up in the stands, press box or on the field. Following it's literally just, move. yeah, which makes total sense. I mean, uh, my, I have a few friends in the league and, uh, they were mic'd up the one day and then they posted the clip. It was uh, the two long snappers, Blake and Reed, their Love brothers. It. And I think I think you sent me the clip, or you saw it as well. And it yeah. was just like the two of them chirping. You're like, your brother's better. The, the lineman gave that <laughs> to him. And then Reed like texts me about it. And he's just like, this is so funny. That was so good. But yeah, well, it's I like mean, literally... how often How often do we put mics on long snappers? You know? Yeah, I think you said it was the first time you've <laughs> ever known it to happen. I think you texted me. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Those, those guys are the best. Um, but that's so funny uh, to hear about. And it's so crazy. It's like, and I will say, like, that does happen in the photo world, too. Like, when you get to a playoff game, I've covered a few playoff games for Getty, and, like, they would do four. Uh, this is pre-pandemic. I don't know how many credentials they're going to get now, but pre-pandemic, it was four. And they basically be like, you have from the bench to the goalpost in one of the corners, and that's it. And so it was, like, it was kind of the best, because, like, half the game, I'm just watching for pick sixes. Maybe, depending on what lenses I had, I was kind of picking off a little bit, but it was just basically like, hey, just chill. And make sure nothing gets past you. Like that was like all it was. And then it was like, and then when they came your way, then it was back on the action and all that stuff. So um, it's kind of cool to hear that it was kind of a similar world for you guys where it's just like, hey, divide and conquer and kind of do your thing. And, uh, you know, everybody's good. Yep. Yep. 100%. Man. Okay. So I got three questions that I'm going to ask you to final questions. And then maybe I thought we'd, I have a Patreon, and for those people, maybe we talk a little bit about how to get into shooting sports, maybe some tips, if that's cool. It's like a little quick that's piece. That's yeah. Awesome. So the last, so I have these three questions I kind of ask everybody. Um, I haven't done an interview in a few months, which is, I say, every episode, because I think every episode I do a few months apart. Um, but the first thing is, uh, what's one thing or one piece of gear that you just have to have with you on every shoot? Or just something you bring with you. Maybe it's not gear. It's just like something like, I got to have this with me, and why? Uh, when it comes to football, it is, it is my, I, I can't even say knee pads cause it's like a whole knee pad system. Um, it, I, if I shot a football game without those knee pads and knee savers that I have, I'd be, I'd be in a world of hurt the next day because they do really help like this old man, like shoot on his knees for four hours. Like, um, so I would have to say my, it's my volleyball knee pads that I get from Dick Sporting Goods. And also my baseball catcher knee savers that I tuck into thigh pads around my calf. And I have a little, I think I have a YouTube short on my video. You guys could check it out. But it's just a, it's a knee pad system that I've developed over the years that has really helped me like extend my career. Because um, I really don't like shooting standing up. I'm, I'm a little bit taller at six foot three. So it just doesn't look good. Like from my point of view, if I'm shooting a quarterback and I'm standing up, the the bench is usually behind that person and it's, it's just dudes standing around. Yeah. Um, but if I go to my knees and now I shoot kind of up at the quarterback, now the fans are behind him and they're further away. So it's more Boca to like behind them. And to me, that is just a way better position to shoot sports in. And it, you know, like shoot up and they look like they're a God, you know, blah, blah, blah. But, yeah. um, I love my knee pad system and, uh, that's the one thing I need. <laughs> Man, so is so this is pretty interesting because like sports photographers also have this problem. Like I'm the same way. I want to shoot for my knees or shoot for my butt. I actually now I with the longer lens, I kind of just get way ahead and just shoot for my butt a lot of times and just 
kind of trap more than I'm like, I got to get every play. I'm like, eh, I'll just get the good ones, um, mm-hmm. which is sometimes good, sometimes bad. But um, when you have like the knee pads, uh, normally like the volleyball knee pads I've tried, but the knee savers I haven't tried. But that seems like a lot on your leg. Can you still run around with that and stuff? Or <laughs> Yes, I, 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 yes, I can never shoot in shorts because like I use these like just track pants, I'll call them like Under Armour track pants. And they kind of contain... I know nothing's going to fall out. So it is like once you start sweating and like the, the thigh pads and the knee savers will kind of slide around. So there's definitely adjustments I make throughout the game. Um, but I know they won't fall out. So I'll sprint and it won't come loose and fall out of my leg and become a tripping hazard. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's not as secure because knee savers are made to go attached to shin guards for a catcher like yeah. in baseball. And so there's visualize it's, it's like a trying it's like a basically take yeah. like a foam knee pad and make it into a, a triangle like a six or nine inch uh, triangle yeah. and it goes behind like the knee so like your back of your thigh and that your calf would kind of squeeze around yes. this thing and it takes the pressure yes, off your and knee I, and I like to put it right in that 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 crook of your knee like the back crook of your knee so it just it's like a little perch um, and yeah I just become I mean I. I think it's been almost maybe 10 years that I've been using this system. Some people think I have it like built into my pants. Um, and it's like, no, no, it's like, I can unzip like the side of my pants and then readjust, uh, like down near my ankle. Um, and yeah, it's, it's quite the setup. It is quite, that is quite the setup. I like it. That's a cool idea. Um, the second question is, I think I did these out of order, but it doesn't matter. Uh, the second question is, what's something you know now or a skill or a lesson or whatever that you know now that you wish you knew much earlier in your career? Hmm. I think it's taken a while for me to get there, but and maybe it just comes with age and just years of doing this, but I would get so bummed when I did not get a call to shoot a football game. And there's, it's, you immediately go to, I suck. I'm the worst that has ever worked for this company and I will never work again. Because you have to remember, this is not a contract. Like I am not required to shoot 22 weeks for NFL films. There is no requirement at all. It is, it is old school, kind of a handshake deal. I shoot a game on Sunday, I get a call on Monday if I don't get a call, I don't shoot the next Sunday. Um, and so when I wouldn't get those calls, I would take it so personally. And never would I ever call up and say, what's going on? I would just, it would just all be in my head for a whole week. And then I would like be so mad at the TV the next Sunday that I'm watching it from home. Um, and, and it would just really like destroy me. And through the years and the more that I know about kind of how they schedule things, the more I, I don't care, you know? And, and, and again, I just, I'm a good spot in life and I have a full-time job. So I'm not really, you know, waiting for the next football game to make more money. Um, it's, yeah, I just, I wish, (laughs) I wish I wouldn't get so upset about not shooting a, a week and really, you know, enjoy my kids on a Sunday and not be so upset at, you know, not shooting and, and be in a bad mood. Cause my wife knows like, if I wasn't shooting a game, you know, five, six years ago, I wasn't fun to be around. Yeah. Um, and that is something I wish I could tell my younger self to like, just chill, dude. You're going <laughs> to, you're going to be fine. Um, so yeah. And Super Bowls too, man. That, 
still, like, am I going to shoot a Super Bowl or am I not? You know, again, 15 seasons, 10 Super Bowls. It's not a Super Bowl every year, and it's never guaranteed. Again, there's logistics that go behind that. Where do you live? Where's the Super Bowl? Um, but it would, be, it would be devastating to not get the Super Bowl call, yeah. too, on those years. And as I get older, that would be fine with me, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll edit that part out. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I I totally relate to that though. I think it's like visuals are such a are such like a competitive career path, and when it comes to freelancing with visuals, it's like, man, I I I'm not very good about it. Still, I, I'm kind of bitter. I've I've had I've been kind of fighting with editors about the NFL, so I've kind of taken a year off, so to speak. I don't know if I'll feel the same way next year or what. Um, financially, it didn't really make a lot of sense to shoot football this year, and transitioning more into video it was like all right if i'm gonna do it like i gotta step back and it still kills me i like i have some sundays where i'm like this is awesome and i'm watching football and i'm just having a good day and then i have other days where i'm like i'm just mad at the tv the whole time and i'm like this is just such bs that i'm not there like like i should be able to get paid fairly to go cover that and i'm just like get real bitter about it um mm-hmm. or if someone's at a game and like hey i'm gonna see you tomorrow right and i'm just like no no you're not and i get all mad but but yeah, I agree yep. with you. It's like, you know, there's a reason you're not there and it's, you know, maybe it's good for your mental health or maybe it's good for, you know, like you said, a lot of times I'm sure with you guys, it's got to be storyline. It's got to be logistics and storyline, you know, like, hey, that San Francisco game against the Lions doesn't matter that much or whatever. Um, so, 100%. yeah, like and decoupling that from your ego or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, the last question that I have is uh this is kind of listened to by a lot of photographers. So this is again, a little bit different with a more video person. I always said I wanted to have more video people on, but I'm trying to make that true. Um, but it's a lot of younger people. It's a lot of professionals, photo editors, things like that. Um, this is kind of like a soapbox moment. What's something you'd like to say to those people or a message or a lesson that you'd like to impart, uh, that you just kind of like leave people with. Um, I'm sorry. Like <laughs> there again, going back to the earlier days of my career, I looked when I would shoot a football game, I almost like I I felt that I had this because the NFL allowed me to have this privilege to be in front of you as a photographer. Um there was many like just you know when you just piss people off because and I, why did I have to stand there? Why did I have to kneel there? Like Today, like all the photographers I work with, because I've been there so long at these certain stadiums, like I respect them more today than I did back then. And I wish I, I would have always respected them. But something happens when you give a 25-year-old with, at that point, a brown vest or a red vest, whatever we had, um, that is like, no, I'm, the NFL says I could be here. I'm going to be here. You know, like, but there's also like a mutual respect that needs to happen. And, and they're there to do their job. I'm there to my, do my job. There's still people out there. I'm sure you've run into them. They're like, dude, you're set up in the end zone and they come right in front of you Yep. because yeah. they have that access. And that is just not a good long-term solution to becoming a better human being. Like, yes, you have your, your, you're set in your ways and you like to be seven yards deep in the end zone, but so do other people. And I try not to, I always try to respect the person who's either already there. Can I slide over a little bit? I still am going to be where I am, but can we work together? You know, as opposed to just being a complete a-hole and, and really positioning yourself right in front of someone 
I remember Super Bowl 42, my first Super Bowl I was shooting in, in Phoenix. There's like an old dude. And I didn't, that, back then I didn't, I wasn't kneeling. I was like standing and I'm not a short dude. And I remember this older gentleman just like tapped me on the shoulder like, can you, can you like duck down or can you go down? And it was just one of those moments like, no, like, and then I kept shooting. Um, and I, I wish I could have that moment back. And like, yeah, I, can, I probably could. Cause again, it's a Super Bowl and there's like 27 of us here. Yeah. Um, so like, and again, now that I know more photographers and, and just see what, again, what they have to go through and what, you know, like now I know photographers, I know what they make. Like, it's not, it's not glamorous by yeah. any means to be on a football field. Um, and if you can make that less hard for them, uh, I think that's, that's kind of my mission moving forward. Like, I don't want to be someone who's like, I don't know, like a bad, a bad, I don't want, I want to have cur- common courtesy. Yeah. And I try and do that every game. Um, I struggle and with I, I know it's tough for you guys last year to not be able to be on the field. And again, there, there it goes again. Like now we get to be on the field and you don't, you're shooting yeah. from the stands yeah. and, and we get to have the field access, but we're all, you know, we're all doing the same job. I remember like when I started out, I like obviously, so basically what we're talking about here, if, for those that haven't been on NFL field is that if you look around the outside of an NFL field, there's like a dashed line and there's a yellow one and a white one. And basically they're the further away one in most stadiums it goes around the whole field but at least around the sidelines the end zone sometimes will be one line but uh basically like everybody has to be behind the further away line except for the broadcast partners so cbs nbc uh fox espn whoever uh which will be wearing red vests and then nfl films they wear blue vests those two groups are allowed to be on that front set of lines and and when he says sorry man i've had some situations where i've been set up I got the, you know, I got my spot, whether it's on the side or I usually I'm kind of like a five yards or two, two to five yards into the end zone, meaning that like I'm looking down the sideline, um, but tucked just inside the orange pylon. That's kind of, that's the spot I kind of like. And I've just been set up and, and there's some dude will come in and roll and drop right in front of me. And there's like emptiness on either side. And I'm like, and I, like once or twice, I've just tore into him and I've just been like, you know, there's a like we're humans. I've just like lost it on people. And I've just like I've never understood it. And the CBS CBS guys are usually the worst, I think. Like, but like a lot of times it's like when a fox comes to Buffalo where it's generally it's generally CBS crew, you know, their CBS stadium um, or like, you know, that team AFC's CBS or whatever. I remember when Fox would come in, it would just I feel like they'd be even worse because they don't know any of us. And they just be like, ah, whatever. And they'd storm in. But I feel like the last, I feel like after the pandemic, actually people have been better, which is really weird. I feel like, which I didn't expect. Like, I remember this year I covered a game and like someone's cable runner was like, I'm sorry. And like, I had a camera guy like yell at his cable runner, like, hey, watch out for these guys. And I was just like, what happened? Because <laughs> like two years ago, I've, I've literally, I had my ankle cut open by a cable runner. The guy, so they'll, the broadcast cameras are these big cables and one of them caught my ankle. I was like, yo. And I, like, he like pulled my ankle out. And then his Ugh. other cable caught my other ankle and he just, he like looked back and ripped on it and it just ripped the skin off my ankle. And I was just like, and I tripped over it and I, I like went and tore into the guy. I was like, what the are you doing? Like, you know what I mean? Like you can see a human is caught on your cable. Like, why are you? And he's like, I just, I just got to pull it, you know? And I'm just like, what? Uh, anyways. So it's, 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 by the it's, way, if that, if that happens, cause that when you, if you, if you draw blood, due to a, a network cameraman or any cameraman they have they have operations people that 
immediately would be down there hopefully talking to you because that should be escalated in my yeah. opinion, you know, cause people get, I mean, people get run over by the carts. There's broken legs. Like there's a lot of stuff that happens and, and we have security meetings as a kind of broadcast NFL thing before every game. And we talk about these things. And so if that ever happens, like you should get that network involved because that's, that is not cool. Yeah. Last year, the only thing I ever really got involved with was during the pandemic is the, this one, uh, female talent was just notorious every week for setting up like an entire studio and laying her stuff out over like the entire because the the stadium had people in it so like she'd block the entire two rows and then have her handlers not let us go through so i just got i just got in fights with her every week and so i kept calling up to like my bosses who then called the nfl and i was just like I was like, hey, I get that you're doing your job, but like, you can't let me not go through. She's like, nope, you got to go to the concourse. And I'd be like, no, I'm going through here, and I just like mow through, and I'd get everyone else to just like, nope, you're 100 percent wrong, right? Good. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. oh, it's just getting some fights in the empty stands of a football <laughs> game. Anyways, uh, where can people find you on the internet? Yeah, uh, Dom the DP on Twitter, Instagram. Um, those are probably the the best two. Oh, and then uh, search Dom the DP on YouTube for some of my uh, content again, you know, it, life happens and you, you just can't upload as much as you'd want. Uh, now that we're moving to Washington, I, I will have a garage. Maybe I can make some more garage content, but, um, you have a we'll great see, YouTube uh, channel. That's a really good channel. It's, it's sparse in content. Obviously I'm in the same boat. If you're an actual professional, it's really hard to make any of this social media content, but, um, man, there's some cool stuff. I remember Zach sent me like, he's like, you know, Dom has a YouTube channel. And I remember watching the one about, you were showing off the various lenses and how they made different football shots. And I was like, this is so interesting to me. Cause like, when do you ever get to see like that breakdown? I thought that was so cool. I think it was a Fresno state game you showed or something, but yeah. Well, and part of me too, is like universities and, and athletic departments all over this country think that you can get that kind of quality out of an a seven S three. Yeah. You know, and it, and you can you can, but you cannot follow a football through a, a five inch monitor on, you know, it's like there's equipment that is, is, is there that can get the job done like really, really well. And you need budgets to support those things. And that's what I keep seeing around the country is that like budgets get smaller because cameras get cheaper, but like there's like, there, there was a camera here bought at, at Fresno state in like the 1990s and it was a beta cam and it probably, it probably cost $50,000. Yeah. Well, where's that budget today when we're just trying to buy a $5,000 DSLR? You know, like someone saw the vision. Like, yeah, we need to buy a video camera. And then like it got cheaper. So then the budget gets diminished too. Like, yeah. what? So like and athletic departments are notorious for this. Like there needs to be way more invested into quality, like cinema gear. If you, if, if that's something that you want your yeah, department to have. Yeah. And I want to show that like, this is how you do it in the big leagues. And this is what it looks like. Yeah. You know? So yeah. that's, it's like, it's all, I, I make these videos, of course, to help like younger people understand like what it takes to, to get to where I am today. Um, but it also, hopefully they could show their bosses and say like, this is, this is what the NFL does. Yeah. And maybe this will, I don't know, entice some recruits to come to our university because we have, better equipment, you know, and I think USC is doing a great job of that. They have a full like production company in their athletic department. I think it's called the Boulevard or something that is going to help you build your brand as a student athlete, which is the future, you know? Yeah. That's so. man, that could be a whole nother <laughs> conversation. That's so yes. cool. 
Awesome. Well, uh, we're going to hop over and do a little quick Patreon thing. Um, but thanks so much, man, for taking the time. This was so fun to finally like chop it up and talk and, and talk shop. This was great. Yes. Thanks for having me. And yeah, I still haven't met. Well, I guess we met in person at NAB. Maybe were you there with Zach? Maybe when I saw I Zach. I was there, but I don't know if we actually met. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like, I think you guys met and then I was off with like yeah. Canon, like trying to get free stuff or something. And then okay, they were like, so was- oh, we just met this dude, Dom. He's cool. And I was like, cool, I'll follow him. <laughs> and I think that's what happened. So we're nice. hoping to go to NAB yeah. this next year. So hopefully we should all have a meetup and eat steaks. Sure. So absolutely. Well, thanks for having me. Awesome. Thank you, man. Thanks for listening to Reciprocity Podcast. Please take a moment to subscribe and rate us five stars on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you found value in this podcast and want to learn even more, head over to patreon.com slash reciprocity podcast to support the show. 